It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. In the, uh, the year 2000, there was a revolutionary book uh, written about American culture. It was called Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. Did anybody read that book? I'm just curious. So you've, okay, well, that's one. I saw one. Bowling Alone was the name of the book. Um, the, uh, the author in that book, his name is Robert Putnam, uh, he, he kind of researched and, and, and detailed our society, and he found that uh, Americans were unhappier than ever before. And, and he kind of was trying to get to the bottom of that. And in his research, he, he recognized that there, there was a direct link between the increase in stress and the decrease in community involvement. And so what he saw was in American culture, there was a decline in community involvement, and it directly was uh, linked with an increase in stress. American culture has historically been one that, that promotes social involvement. But he argued that American, uh, America was seeing a, a major decline um, in, in Americans being involved in things like social clubs, you know, softball teams, bowling leagues, thus the name of the, of the book was Bowling Alone. Uh, you, you name it, all the things that, you know, when you think of generations ago, people used to do to get together, barn raisings and all those kinds of things. Those were things that we've seen a decline in. And, and so he kind of argued that, that, you know, demands at, of work and, and, and you know, kind of family stuff and, and our technology habits were leading us into isolation. He was shocked to find out that in the year 2000, uh, only 70% of Americans were involved in some kind of religious community, 70%. And so he urged, he urged his readers to find ways to get involved with others um, in both, you know, kind of social ways, but also in meaningful ways. That, 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 that the way to, way to happiness was, was to get more involved socially and more involved in community. Okay, so fast forward 23 years. Here we are. How do you think we are doing since the book came out, Bowling Alone, in 2000? Right, right, you laugh, because it's gotten way, way worse. You know, if you think about what was happening in 2000, uh, the internet was just kind of becoming common at that point, right? Most of you probably were, had gotten or were about to get an email by the year 2000. Um, you, you maybe, you, this is kind of even pre-Google, you were using other different kinds of searches and stuff. You know, AOL was, was real popular at that point, if you remember. Uh, you were having to dial up and get online, all those kinds of things. No one could have predicted where we would be in just, you know, 20 short years you know, m- most people point to 2012 uh, as the year that smartphones took over the world. And if you think about probably when you got your first smartphone, it was probably around 2012, maybe a year or two after that. But now almost everybody has one. And what that means is, you know, the internet, the connection of all of that, which was just starting to take over in 2000 on, on, on our computers, right? We were spending too much time in front of a computer at a desk. Well, now they're in our pockets, right? Now they're with us everywhere, all the time. 
And, and they can be used at any time for any information, right? Any, you don't even have to worry anymore about, do I know something? You can just look it up. But they can be used for that. They can be used for social media, entertainment, just about anything, right? There, there's very few things I can think of that peop- we don't use our smartphones for today. Okay, so this might be the, well, it probably won't be the only time, but one of the very few times I ever ask you to do this. But I want you to get your phone out in the middle of my sermon. Go ahead and get your phone out. I want you, to, I want you to, to grab it. Now, I don't know how to do this with an Android because I'm of the iPhone family. So I'm sure you can figure it out. But I want you to go to your settings. Remember, you, it kind of looks like the little gray, little sprocket wheel looking thing, right? That's the settings deal. And just barely have to scroll any at all, and you'll get to uh, a thing. It's a purple, bluish looking hourglass looking thing, and it's called screen time. If you've never seen this before, I'm about to shock your world. Um, I want you to click on that, and I want you to look at, well, today's probably no good because it's still the morning. I want you to, there's a little thing where you can click week. And you didn't know this, but that thing's been keeping track of your, of your time on that little rectangle. So, it will show you the ima- um, average amount of time that you spend per day on your phone. 80% of Americans underestimate the amount of time, right? So, so if, if I said, how much do you, th- you think you spend on your phone? Oh, maybe like an hour or two. 80% of you are wrong. It's way, way more. So I'm not going to ask you to give your number, okay? That, that's for you. Uh, the average American spends five hours and 42 minutes on their phone. And some say that's low, that it's changing by the day, it's getting more and more. We're probably already over six hours. And, and depending on your age range, okay, so if you're under 50, you're probably above five hours and 42 minutes. That's probably below your average. If you're under 30, it could be nine hours. There's just no telling how big that number is going to be. So, but you can see what's going on here. There's also a thing on there, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, pickups. There's a, it gives you the statistics on your pickups. Now, pickups means the number of times in a day that you do this, that you're grabbing your phone. I, I, I wish it didn't keep track of that number, but it does. The average American is 99 pickups a day. 99 pickups a day. So that means through, you know, let's say you're a lot awake for 15 hours a day. I don't know. We're just making up some numbers here, right? You guys can do the math. 99 times during that 15-hour day, you're stopping what you're doing, you're losing your focus, and you're looking to see if there's something else more interesting happening on your phone, right? That's what's happening. So, you, I hope some of you are below the American average, but I want you to just think about your life for a minute, okay? So think about pre-2012, what you were doing with your two hours, three hours, four hours, or five hours and 42 minutes a day that you weren't staring at your little rectangle. What did you do in your life before you had that thing? Research shows that whatever it was that you did with your time before that, it was more social, meaning you were like talking to people and stuff, right? You were interacting with other human beings, and now for five hours and 42 minutes a day, you're not doing that. You're not doing that. So we had these lives where we, were, we spent more in community instead of staring at technology. 
Do you think that happiness, life satisfaction, feelings of belonging have increased since 2000? You think smartphones have made us happier, made us feel more belonging, made us feel more connected with people than before? No. In fact, it's way, way the opposite. And yeah, we, I won't spend too much time in this. I could get too far into this little topic, but, but no. And, and researchers know it. There's, it's not up for debate. Our brains weren't made to do this, what they're doing with these phones. And it's not good for us. It's not good for us. And so there is an absolute correlation with happiness and the opposite, which is unhappiness and phone usage. The more you use your phone, generally speaking, the less happy you are. The less you use your phone, generally the more happy you are. Isn't that interesting? So, and then going back to that 2000 thing, remember he was surprised, he couldn't believe that only 70% of Americans were involved in a religious community in the year 2000. What do you think it is today, 23 years later? It's below 45%, which means, right, obviously we're below half, and just about every year we're losing a percent of religious participation, meaning we're losing community, more individualistic, right? More me time, less social time. So, I can get a little too talkative about that subject. You can put your phones away now. Hopefully I didn't send you down a rabbit hole of, de- of, of panic. <laughs> you can always be working to get your number lower, right? It's for your own good. It's for your own mental health is to be on that thing as least amount possible. But, okay, But when we get back and we look to Genesis chapter 2 and we look throughout Scripture, we see that life was created to be in community. From the very beginning, God said, don't be alone. Need each other. Need each other. All throughout Scripture. Like we saw in Psalm 133, which we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. We were not meant to be isolated. Living through screens. Social media... It's not really social. It's pretend social. <laughs> but basically all, the, all those things are doing are making us more focused on ourselves, keeping us at home, away from other people. So I'm going to argue from Scripture this morning that we are most fulfilled when we are in community. And that we have the most joy when we are living, living and functioning as the body of Christ. And so let's pray as we, as we, we get into our topic for, the, for this morning. Father, would you guide us this morning through your word? Let us hear your truth, not mine. Father, I have no wisdom to share. God, we only want to hear from you. Open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want you to turn to the book of Philippians. If, if you haven't been around lately, we just finished a 12-week series in the Minor Prophets. And so we were spent some time in the Old Testament. Let's go spend some time uh, in Philippians. We're going to look uh, this morning, we're going to read Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So life is, is hard. Whether you are a follower of Christ or not, your life will be full of difficult circumstances. Following Christ means learning to endure and persevere through trials and, and tribulations. That's just part of the deal. And, and this is one of those hard truths that, that I, 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 I try to communicate a lot, I think, in sermons. And I have had people tell me, hey, you, you kind of talk too much about that. You, you kind of you make things a little, you, you know, you're kind of a glass half empty kind of guy sometimes when you preach about how hard life is. Uh, and so, so I try to be aware of that. Um, but I have to admit that after spending uh, the last 12 weeks in the Minor Prophets, uh, I, I kind of want to make sure you guys didn't get depressed or weary um, and so I started thinking about joy. I started thinking about joy. And, and when it comes to joy, Philippians should be the book that comes immediately to your mind. So when somebody says joy, think Philippians. Just make that connection. Um, because Paul uses the word joy in the book of Philippians more than anybody else. More than any other book, the word joy is all throughout Philippians. And that's interesting Okay, it's interesting if you know anything about the background of the book of Philippians. See, you know, Paul writes this, uh, we think about 62 A.D. So, you know, let's say 30 years after Jesus has, has gone, give or take a couple of years, right? Paul is, is there and, and um, he, he has been a missionary. He has been following Jesus. He's been teaching people about Jesus. And he's been imprisoned. And so we know that in 62 A.D., Paul is in prison. He's in the city of Rome. And, and, and so that means he's in the final stage of his life because this will be the place where he is, is killed. Um, but, but, but Philippi is a church that, that he planted in the very kind of early stages of his, of his time uh, in ministry and in, in, in his mission work. Uh, so so it's, a, it's a, an honest, beautiful book. And, and it's really interesting because Paul, Paul is going to kind of be a perfect example of something that you see if you read Scripture. And that is, oftentimes the folks who have the hardest lives often have the most joy, often seem to be the most joyful. Maybe you've seen that in, in, in people in your life as well. Sometimes the most joyful people that we know are the ones that have gone through the most, seem to have had the hardest times. And so it makes, makes me wonder as I think about Paul, where, where does this joy come from? And, 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 
how do I get this kind of joy? How do we get the kind of uncontainable joy that Paul is sharing, knowing he's about to die, knowing his life is coming to an end? Where does this joy come from? How How does he have it? Paul uses the word joy or rejoice 15, 16 times in, in the book of Philippians. Just a short book, right? And, and so though he is in jail, though he's facing a, a, a possible death sentence, he's going to mention the reasons why he has joy. And so I'm really, I am really appreciate that about this book and, and about Paul, that he's going to share why he has joy uh, for our benefit. And so in our, in our time this morning, I kind of want to look at just a couple. We're going to keep looking because he shares a lot more uh, about this idea of, of where he has joy and how. Um, and, and so today we're going to look at kind of the three first ideas that he introduces of, of, of where he finds joy. And I'm going to group those all together and call it joy in community. Okay, so if, I guess I didn't put that as the title of the sermon. You could probably call it that. This is going to be about joy in community because that's where Paul starts in, in his letter. So um, I'm going to mention kind of each of the three things, and then we'll sort of put them together at the end. Okay, so the first thing uh, it, Paul says, uh, we experience joy in community, number one, as we pray for one another. So go back, if you still got your, your Bibles open, look at uh, Philippians one, look at verses three through five again. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul says that he has joy as he prays for others. Okay, so I don't know where your, your brain is this morning, but I thought we're going to keep this really simple. School starting. I'll let you ease into kind of the fall and all that stuff. This is a very simple sermon. There's nothing too complex about today. So we're going to keep this really simple. Basically, the idea is that our heart grows for people when we pray for them. Our heart grows for people when we pray for them. Uh, somebody in this room mentioned to me the other day, you can't hate somebody that you're praying for. You can't hate somebody for your, that you're praying for. And, and I, I appreciate that statement. It got me thinking a little bit, right? You, you can't hate somebody that you're praying for. And it's true. If, if there's somebody that you have hatred for right now, I would just tell you, start praying for them. And, and you will see something begin to change in you. God will do something in you. Start, pr- start praying for somebody that you hate. Even if it's, you know, a national figure or a public, you know, political fi- I don't care. Start praying for them and see what, see what God does in your heart. But if there are people that you do love, that maybe you would say, well, they're not in my hatred <laughs> thing, that I, I care for these people, I, I would just ask, are you praying for them regularly? Do you have a good system? Do you have a schedule that you're praying for those people regularly? And I would say we all need some work in this. I know I definitely do. I can be scatterbrained. I wish I was a little more systematic at times, but... Um, Again, we're keeping this very simple. It is good and helpful for you to pray for someone. And joy comes when we know that we've helped somebody. Right? You know that feeling of, hey, I helped somebody today. There's, there's a good feeling. There's a, there's a joyful feeling part of that. And praying for somebody is one way that we can help. So, help, good. You feel joy when you do something good. Right? So we should be praying for people. 
You know, I've had, I've had grandparents tell me, you know, it's, it's just really hard. I kind of feel helpless sometimes with my grandkids because they're over there and they're kind of out of my hands. And, and um, you know, I, I don't feel like there's much I can be doing for them right now, or, you know, depending on how they're doing. And you start by praying for them regularly. And I, and I hope you're doing that. If you're not doing that, start making that a part of your daily habit. Maybe it's a time that when you're eating. Maybe it's a time as you're getting ready in the morning. Maybe it's a time as you're, you know, getting ready for bed. Whatever it is, make a habit. Start praying for the people that you care about. Pray for them. Work on creating some good habits in, in that way. Maybe you have to put regular reminders on your phone. That's okay too, right? If, we're gonna, if we've got these little things in our pockets that are trying to get our attention, maybe let's make it towards a good thing. Set a, set a daily reminder. Hey, pray for your mom. Pray for your brother. Pray for your kids. Pray for your grandkids. Whatever it is. If you need that reminder, it's helpful. And Paul also will, will go on later to talk about he has joy because he knows that others are praying for him too. Right? It's, it's a two-way street in that sense. He knows the Philippians are his friends. They care for him. They show they care for him. And they say, hey, we're praying for you all the time. Every day, Paul, we are praying for you. How, do you know how it feels when somebody comes up and says, hey, you know, I was, I was praying for you today. I'm so glad I, I ran into you. I was praying for you today. You were on my mind. I was praying for you. I, I maybe get that more than you guys get it because you guys like to tell me. And and I tell you, it, it never gets old and it never gets, oh, God, whatever. It's wonderful. There's no better feeling I, I, that I can think of than somebody could say, you know what? You were on my mind today and I gave part of my time and my effort to talk about you to God. I'm praying for you. I, I can't think of a more joyful feeling that, to, than to know I'm being prayed for. And so we need to make sure we're telling people. So if you're praying for someone, tell them that you're doing that. It's a great way to start a good conversation, too. Hey, I was praying for you. Is there anything I can be praying for you about as well? Anything more? I care about you. It will bring joy to their life, I promise. So, it's a two-way street. We get joy when we pray for others. We get joy when people tell us. You can, you can give people joy. Hey, I was praying for you. Send them a card, even. You've been, you've been, my, you've been the person I'm praying for this week. You're my person. I've been praying for you. Okay, second thing Paul says is that we experience joy in community as we share in kingdom work. So that's the second piece. When we share in kingdom work. I want you to look at verses 5, and then we're going to jump to 7 and 8. Right? And he says, I have joy with you in verse 4 because. So 5 starts with a because. gives us a second reason. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Skip down to seven. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul calls the Philippians partakers of grace together. It's a, it's a neat little phrase. Right? And so we need to remember the starting point for Paul is that he recognizes that they are his brothers and sisters. They are partners with him in understanding and receiving the grace of Jesus. You know, earlier in the introduction of, of the, the letter of Philippians, he calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus. 
I'm a servant of Christ. And, 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 and he, he's giving that as his primary identity, right? I'm not a Texan. I'm not an Aggie. I'm not, all those things come later. I'm a servant of Christ first, right? That's the basis of who Paul is. That's the basis of his identity. I, you and I are part of lots of things, right? Uh, I'm, a, I'm an Aggie. I'm an Arsenal soccer fan, if you like soccer. I'm a Star Wars nerd, as I told you last week, right? There's all these little things that I can identify with, and there's some communities around all of those things, right? And if you're into other things, there's communities attached to some of those. If you're into cars, right, there are guys that get together every weekend and talk about cars and look at each other's cars. and Those things exist, and those aren't bad things, But I would say none of those bring true joy. None of them bring true joy. They are good things, but they are not eternal things. Oh, it's good to be an Aggie, but it's not eternal, even though some might argue that it is. Don't listen to them. It's it's just an earthly thing. It's nothing of true gospel redemption. So, that's, what, that's the starting point. He says, look, I have joy because we are partakers of the same grace. We're brothers and sisters in this family of the redeemed. And then he's going to talk about becoming partners in a different way. And, and I would just kind of say, in my opinion, I, I think America is struggling with joy as a part of this reason right here. Working together, being partners We are more divided than ever. Research shows that we trust each other less than we ever have in American history. We're all cynical. Nobody trusts anybody. Nobody wants to be around anybody. But we were created to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, working toward a good, redemptive thing. And so I, I, would, I would just say, you know, in my experience, the most joyful people I know are also the most unselfish. They're, they're the most unselfish. Those who aren't always looking out for themselves and figuring out what's good for them, but they're asking, how can I serve God? How can I help somebody else? Those are the most joyful people that I know. And in the reverse, I have seen to be true. The most selfish people that I know almost always are the most miserable people. I could put them in the same group. If I think of the most miserable people I know, they're also the most selfish people that I know. So my, my challenge in, in this area is this. Take an inventory of your life. What are you doing with your time besides staring at a rectangle? What are you doing with your time? What is your focus? You know, f- too often if we're honest, I think it's, it's on ourselves. It's on my, I, I spend too much time on myself, on my comforts, on my leisure, on my entertainment. Can you identify with Paul when he says that he's a fellow servant of Christ, and he says, hey, you guys are partners with me in the gospel. Are you a partner with Paul in the gospel? Everybody in here, they're so smart and talented, and they, it's amazing to see what all you guys can do. Are you using those gifts to know Jesus and to help others know him? And how can you do that? We'll talk more. Okay, third thing he says is we experience joy in community as we grow in love. I want you to look at verse 6, and then we're going to jump to a 9 and 11. So verse 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
And then down to 11, he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So let me remind you of something incredible. God is working on you. God is working on you. We all have those projects in our house, right? Maybe it's in your garage. We all those projects. I have too many. I have to like pick one and focus, right? But God is working on you. God is thinking about you, and he is working to see you grow in love more and more. And he'll never stop on that project. He wants you to be more in love with Christ. He wants you to be growing in love in a gospel community. I, I think it's amazing that, that God wants the best for you and for me. And, and, and he is faithful and persistent that he's going to make that happen. That's what he promises in verse 6. He's never going to stop. He's faithful. He's going to work on that until we're perfected on the last day. He promises that he's going to finish what he started. And so this is true. We know it's true. We hear it here and other places. God is working on you. You need to know that God uses Christian community for that purpose. So if God uses Christian community, if, if God uses the church to help grow believers, my question for all of us is, are we willing to let God use it to grow us in that way? Because if, if I'm honest, and I think, again, if you're honest, too many of us keep church and church people kind of at arm's length. And it comes, part of that is because we're Americans and we have this independence thing. I don't want to be needing anyone. I want to be able to take care of myself. I don't want to put my vulnerable things out for other people. I'd rather just keep it to myself. So we keep the church at arm's length. We keep church people at arm's length. And, you know, kind of have this mentality. It's great to go to church sometimes, but but I don't want to get too involved, right? Because that, that, there's a cost involved with that. I'm not going to invest my heart into this place. It's, it's just kind of a good place to go sometimes. I'm not going to get real here. I'm not going to get vulnerable here. I don't want to join a small group or a Bible study because, like, that's hard work. It's so much easier to just come and go as I please and not have any cost affiliated with that. But I, I just want to tell you that there are some aspects of growing in Christ that don't happen, won't happen on our own. Like God intentionally designed the church to be a place where we grow in some ways that we can't any other way. Re reading books, I love reading books and listening to podcasts and great music. Those are all good things and they can help us to grow. But if, if we're neglecting the community piece, there's, there's, there's some glaring, huge things that are missing. We need real love and real community to, to be perfected in the way that Paul is talking about here, that, that he's praying for us to, to be growing. And so I would just encourage you, how, how can you get involved in real Christian community to really grow? We're, we're going to be offering some opportunities kind of upcoming uh, for, for some things like some small groups and, and doing some, some new things, some different ways to get connected, to get plugged in. 
Um, and I would just encourage you to, to consider some of those things when, when, you, when we, you, f- you hear more about them. Consider doing that. That's another way that God will grow us. It's a great way to get to know people. It's a great way to let them know you. I'm telling you, there's no greater joy than being in a real community of people who know who you are, who are doing things for your good, who are looking out for you, who are there to really love you and help you. It sounds scary, but it's great. If you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. There's a, a, a song uh, called Thrive by a band that I really like. They're called Switchfoot. I don't know if any of you guys in here are Switchfoot fans, but uh, great band. Um, in, that, in that song, there's a line that I think about a lot. It, it's, he's, he's, it's kind of a prayer to God in, in, in the song. He says, I, I want to thrive and not just survive. I want to thrive and not just survive. And, and I think if we listen to what Paul has to say here in Philippians 1, we can't actually thrive in life. And, and, and maybe you know that feeling of like, I feel like I'm just getting by. I don't feel like I'm, I'm living, but I'm not doing anything more than just getting by day after day. And Paul says there's, there's a way to live different than that. There's joy to be found in life. You know, life is hard, and that truth isn't going anywhere. It will remain until Christ comes again. But Paul says that we can't have a joy that's bigger than the hard things, that's bigger than circumstances, and all of that. Uh, I love Psalm 133. It's, it's a beautiful picture uh, there's some neat things that just r- real quick, he, when he talks about, uh, it's like the dew from, the, from Hermon. Hermon is the, the tallest mountain in Israel, and it's where all the water came from. The dew would collect on the mountain, and then it would pour down into the Jordan River. And if, so if there's no dew on Mount Hermon, there's no water anywhere else. And there's this idea that the brothers dwelling in, together in unity, a, a true living God community, it's what brings life to the land. And, and he talks about it's like oil running down Aaron's beard. And that was, that was this anointed, blessed, spiritual thing, meaning there, there, there is a different aspect. When, when God's people are in community, there is a spiritual blessing. There's a spiritual anointing that, that comes out of that. That's the imagery of Psalm 133. It's beautiful and pleasant. It's what we're supposed to look like. And that's where thriving can come in a community like that. And so if you're on your own, I would just encourage you, find some community where you can find thriving. Do you want to thrive, not just survive? Do you, do you want to experience joy in daily life? I, I, today we started with the first step. We're going to be in this series for a few weeks just talking about how do we, how do we have lives of joy. But the first part, it starts in Paul's mind with Christian community. Where we are around one another, we support one another, we pray for one another. We're, we're, we're letting people know that they're praying for us and we're praying for them. We experience joy by serving Christ and his kingdom together. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're getting rid of the selfishness in our lives. And then, then we experience joy as we grow in love, as we mature more and more of who God wants us to be. That's, that's thriving. And that's, that's our first step of Christian joy. So let's pray together. Father, too often I'm guilty of of not recognizing all that you are offering us. You say throughout your word, it should be evident for the world around us, we should have a hope that looks different. 
We should have a joy that looks different, so much so that they would see it, they would recognize it, and ask what we have. Why do we have hope? God, help us fight this temptation to, to just just get by. God, would you help us to be people who pursue life and hope and joy? You, you've given us so much in Jesus, and, and that starts in community, care for one another. Help us to find it. Help us to fight the temptation to, to, to stay hidden, to stay uh, uh, on our own recognize that that there's a whole nother level of joy to be had we are known and loved by others in fellowship with you help us pursue that god pray this in jesus name amen